This is Magnolia Leadership Podcast, heart, soul, and earth aligned. I'm Katherine Miller, a holistic practitioner of 30 years and your host. Join me as we discuss what it means to lead from the sacred feminine. Magnolia Leadership is here to guide you home, remind you of your courage, awaken your deepest knowing, revealing your fullest expression, and supporting your beautiful blossoming. Welcome in. Today, I speak with my friend and colleague, Jillian Nathan. She is a licensed clinical social worker, a depth hypnosis practitioner, a certified Imago relationship counselor, and a wonderful human being. For over 25 years, Jillian has helped her clients experience more ease, joy, and connection in life. Some topics that Jillian and I discuss include embracing the full messiness of self, facilitating deep transformation, rejecting the shame that may take root when you make mistakes, what it means to be your best self at work, asking yourself, where is the ease? Even when we forget, there still is no separateness. Embodying and being love with no attachments, and thinking of everyone in your life as a teacher. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this juicy conversation with Jillian Nathan. We have the lovely, amazing Jillian Nathan, and we've journeyed through many different iterations of connection together. Uh, which is really special to be able to hold all of those together, you and I. And I'd like to start our conversation just by welcoming you into the space and asking for you to share just a little bit about your first experience with what we're calling the sacred feminine or the goddess, or, you know, there's so many ways to get at this. But we're we're really articulating the feminine aspect, the sacred feminine, the heart, soul, body, earth aligned woman. Mm. So I would love just to hear from you what that evokes in you and also your first memory of like, oh, there is a thing like this. I think pregnancy and birthing was really when it came to my attention. Because mm. growing up, this was not something I heard of. These were not messages that I was getting. And I didn't, during the birth, something really, this incredible healing happened when I was birthing my child. And I kind of knew it, but when I did my first, uh, started studying, I had an incredible experience during, uh, I think it was an energy medicine class where this huge thing was shown to me. And I realized I was being taken to the time of birthing, but it was shown to me why that was such a powerful experience. I kind of got the anatomy of it. And it was very much around under, beginning to understand the great mother and the ways in which she was always there. And, you know, going back to times where I felt this sense of, I don't know if protection is the right word. I didn't realize, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but in retrospect, this sense that, oh, oh, right, this isn't you, a little bit of that. But that was really when I became aware of and started actively cultivating the relationship with feminine energy, goddess, great mm -hmm. mother, all that. Can you share a little bit about the moment that you realized it in birth? That's, a, that's an amazing awakening. Well, in birth, I was so... <laughs> completely present with the birthing experience. Mm. I mean, talk about being in the moment. I was nowhere but that moment for all 30 mm. hours of labor. <laughs> it was <laughs> 30 hours. It was a long and beautiful journey, sometimes uncomfortable, but not, but in this absolutely incredible way. And so counter to all the messages that I had gotten my, in my life mm. from family, from media about what birth is like. And I had very intentionally chosen a birth class that was going to help me address the fears and misinformation that I'd been fed. Uh, so I had some background to it, some intentionality, but it wasn't until that moment that, 
Yeah, there was something about that. I never realized that till this moment, how 100%, it was such a, a, a practice in being present. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, I wasn't aware, consciously aware of it because I was just in it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't reflecting on it. I was just experiencing it and being so held. And then later, I mean, it was just an incredibly powerful healing. And when I went back and in a class was invited to visit a time of difficulty in a time of something positive, I went to this experience, but then it was shown. And basically this incredible energy came through me so strong. I kind of, I didn't exactly pass out, but kind of like I, I, I and it was explained to me that sometimes when we are shown such a huge release of energy, we don't yet know how to hold it. Right. And that was such an, inc- that was another teaching for me to have that experience and go, oh, right. Which in a way is an analogy for what it was like growing up female and all the ways in which I had not been really taught. Even if sometimes people use the words, there was so much other uh, information and messaging that was counter to that, that I, I wasn't able to take in the words that said, you have a right to your body and these are your choices because they were completely in contrast to, to the, to much stronger amount of messaging. So Amazing. having that experience of, of realizing like, oh, right. There's a container to manage. I didn't even realize that this is mine to hold. I had grown a ton over time where I did feel a sense of ownership of my body and choice and all that for sure. But there was such a deep healing around recognizing what had been missing before and then coming through the reclaiming of it. And then sometimes it's after a growth period that you get, that you understand what just happened. Yes. And I understood so much of what had happened in my life leading up to, you know, all those years of disempowerment, especially as a female for Mm -hmm. so many years until definitely, gosh, maybe late college, I would say. Is when you started to come into power? I feel like I started to have my first experiences of really, really realizing, well, I took a feminism class and it was with Bettina Aptaker at UC Santa Cruz. Mm. That was so pivotal, so life-changing. I remember so much from that on so many levels. So, okay. There's a lot of places we can go. (laughs) I want to just say, I don't think there's any greater representation of what, so what we're exploring here is what is the sacred feminine anyway. There's no better place to explore that than birth. This is our birthright is to have the power to literally be a portal that connects to the other realms through which souls come through. That's right. Or creative product. I mean, it doesn't have to be birthing a baby, right? It could be a creative project or a business initiative, but you know, of course, birthing a baby is, is a very strong experience of it. And it just is such can be, can be such a strong initiation into the sacred feminine. That's right. And so here we are dropping right into that you know, our power is in our womb. Our power is literally in our womb space. And, you know, you're speaking to having gotten to that point with a lot of programming that disconnected you from that power. That's right. Yeah. Which I think is like really important for us to pause because I think that is what, and we'll talk about your work too, because I know that you're doing this in your work too. That's what our work is about as women healers is really like deprogramming all of the things that keep us from remembering. Oh, the sacred feminist really is like right here. It's right here. We don't have to take a class. We don't have to go to a goddess circle. I mean, those things are great, but it's literally in our body. And so as we begin to occupy our bodies and reclaim our bodies, and deprogram, we get into this like super powerful place, right? Where, where does that And take? I was led, I regret nothing. Mm. You know, all the terrible things. I mean, all the difficult to say that. How great to be able to say that. I mean, honestly, like that's pretty amazing. I mean, I, 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 you know, it's so easy to get into, oh, if only that hadn't happened, then this, whether it's, oh, that thing that happened to me or, oh, if I messed up in this way and that's one of the great gifts about getting older. And I just wish we could all embrace that more. Mm. I guess it's something around this perspective of putting down the, if only this or that's mm-hmm. and embracing 
the full messiness and beauty and, and gift of all of it, all of it, because I wouldn't be where I am now without it. And I wouldn't have the gifts that I have. I wouldn't be able to show up for people the way I do. I had kind of, without realizing it at a much younger age, I was resistant. I, I, I remember in my, I must've been a teenager, maybe middle school, maybe high school, somewhere around, somewhere between sort of 12 and 15 ish. I remember saying, why would anyone want to be a therapist? Who would want to listen to people's problems all day? It was like prescient, yeah. prescient, you know? And the truth is that I, me, I want that, but yes. my experience of it couldn't be further than that characterization. Mm. Now, all I, you know, what I experience is first of all, every stinking day, I cannot believe that I get to do this. Yes. It's the best job for me ever. And I don't have any desire to do anything else. Sure. There's different iterations. There's different ways of engaging with it, mentoring, teaching, whatever, all kinds of things. But this is my Dharma and I've, I've been led here so clearly. And I, first I had to go through initiations. I had to go through the experience of disempowerment in a variety of ways, the experience of all kinds of stuff. Mm. And so coming back to, well, okay, let me just finish that thought. Sure. my experience now of sitting with people is it is such an honor and a gift. I know that sounds cheesy, but I can't, I couldn't be more sincere mm. for people to be willing to share things with me that they don't typically share, to be vulnerable, courageous, open, and learning to connect with and live their more authentic, truest self. So beautiful. That's the, that's, that's the answer to everything. It like is. so many of the questions you put in about, leadership, envisioning the world and all that. It's like, basically, if if the world leaders, not even all of them, but let's just say a, a lot of them meditated, just mm-hmm. that. Can you imagine mm-hmm. how different the world would be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love what you said about honoring the messiness and embracing the messiness as a path, as essential, as the compost that helps Right. It's, I think that's a really important message and I know you, so I know that that is how you live. Like you are actively doing that. And I'm imagining that you're cultivating that with your clients and really allowing them to accept all, you know, it's not just about this linear transformational process, right? There's a descent, there's darkness, there's messiness, there's, right. And to stop apologizing for ourselves. Ooh. You know, like I'll do something and then go, oops, I just stepped in it. I did not show up as my best self in that moment. And of course I'll apologize. You know, of course I want to repair with the particular individual, but I don't get caught up in self-flagellating or whatever. And sometimes people kind of are maybe someone I'm really close to, like my partner, who's a wonderful, you know, we all get into our things. Like it's not quite enough, but for me, mm-hmm. I will say, Wow. I'd like to have a do-over. That is not, I'm so, I'm sorry that, that I came out that way. That was not my intention. That did not, my behavior did not reflect what's in my heart. Here's what's in my heart. Mm, where, beautiful. you know, what can we do now? Mm. <laughs> How can I show up for you now? What are you needing or wanting? And maybe they can't answer fine, but I'm, I'm here now. That thing happened. I'm not minimizing it, but I am not going to let that story take over. Of course, there's times of rumination. And when, when something's really painful, when you mess up in a way that you feel like you caused harm to someone or you feel like doesn't reflect yourself or maybe taps into some old patterns. Of course it can persist a little bit more, but for the most part, I just go, oops, I was human. Sorry. I had a human moment. Now, now where do we go? I love that. How did you reach that? That sounds to me like really a well of just offering yourself love. Compassion, compassion, compassion. I just think it's something I've been working on for a while and it just kind of unfolded this way. And I think that, so, you know, one of the, there's so many gifts in being able to have this be what I do for work. Yes. And one of them is that to be most effective with people and my heart's desire is to help people, free people from suffering, help them be their best, most authentic selves, truest to themselves as much as they're ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, if they say they want that, but they don't really want it, they find their way to someone else sure. who will spend time there. That's not what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone has some level of some part of them, that's really ready to do something about the change they want to make, mm. uh, that's incredible. And in order for me to show up for people, 
I have to be doing my work all the time. And you have to be it. I have to do it all the time. And so absolutely. How great is that? Like that's my it's work. Right. I, I love that too. <laughs> like other people are like, oh, I gotta go to job trainings or whatever. I was like, literally my work, like, you know, outside of sessions. What do I do? Work on myself, you know, go to all all different ways where I'm going deep and being courageous. And and as soon as something comes up with a client that that has a little teeth to it, that I go, ooh, I feel something there. I notice it, I put it aside, I show up for them. And then I go back and I go, let's take a closer look at that Jillian. And I go do whatever I'm going to do myself mm -hmm. on my own with myself. So everybody's helping me to show up for my job. I have to show up for myself. And, it, and so in my job, I, a huge part of how I work is just compa compassion, 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 mm -hmm. you know, fierce compassion with boundaries, of course. But if something's happening that we're not happy with to just go to the, wow, there must be a lot of suffering behind that behavior. Mm -hmm. That's not someone who feels safe and loved and honored in the world. So to be able to go, wow, I really see the suffering. And here's my line. Yes. And so with clients, there's times I might need to set boundaries, but most of the time it's helping them be more compassionate with themselves. And I think doing that, mm. I hear myself and it helps me. So not only am I outside of session working on myself, but I spend my time telling people all the things that I benefit from hearing as well. And I truly believe it, <laughs> but it, it's like the best way to learn something is to teach it. And of course I'm already embodying it, but it just deepens and deepens. So I grow constantly in every, just about every meeting that I have. I it love it better than how, that. How interdependent it is the way you're describing this and how it feel. I feel the spiral, right? It just, everything you do just takes you to the next level and you keep revisiting the same things and the connections deepen and they go deeper and it spirals out into our life, right? It's just amazing. I feel the same way you do, which is like, there's no separation. I mean, I understand that I'm holding the container and the structure for the person who I'm working with, but it is such a blessing, right? To be able to sit in that deep, intimate space. And for me, I don't feel depleted. Like people are always like, well, how do you do that all day? I'm like, I feel great exactly. at the end of the day. Cause it's like, it's reciprocal. I am receiving, yes. right? Exactly. I feel like I'm my best self at work. Mm -hmm. And of course there's times where something really big happens that you're, you know, can tell that you're not fully resourced to be a hundred percent present with the client, in which case that's when I need to go take time away. But the vast majority of the time, I'm not that whatever's going on, even if it's difficult, being able to go to this kind of refuge of my work mm. is so the opposite of what I thought it was when I was a, a young teen. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the exact opposite. I show up at work and I'm my best self mm. and it helps me drop in and connect deeper to my best self. So beautiful. So it is, it's, it's filling instead of depleting. And if it ever is depleting, obviously that's one of those times where we go, wow, what do I need? Cause sometimes people bring a lot into the room and maybe I wasn't prepared for something that comes up. That's like really intense. Mm -hmm. And then I have to go, of course, do some energetic clearing to help, you know, let's pause. And just for people who are going to be listening to this, just share a little bit about the nature of your work and the, the path that you took to get here. Cause I, mm. one of the things that I'm hoping to do is inspire people by our own personal journeys to step into their soul's work. Mm. I know that you're doing your soul's work. So I think it would be, oh, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Yes. And also just the arc of how you discovered this as your soul's expression. Mm. I've always been someone who has a lot of interest and does multiple things. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a linear person. I never have been. And I don't Yay! think I will be. So there's Yay! a lot of different <laughs> things. So along Favorite with this feminine. one, there's other works that I've been doing simultaneously. I have a whole life in my artistic world that was happening, you know, overlapping and they kind of fed into each other. So like I'd been doing social work and then I stopped and realized I just needed to go dance. That's what I, you know, I needed to go do that. So I, I put all this down and went off to go to New York and be a dancer. And of mm. course, the first place I landed was at Alvin Ailey where they mm. had a summer program for kids. And I ended up doing basically social work through dance. And that got, you know, so then I was doing dance, but then eventually that led to doing more full-time work in the mental health world, you know, largely. You were, you were doing dance with children? I was, okay, sorry. I'm, I'm not, I'm not being linear here because. It's fine. I'm just, is like, I don't know about this part of your life. 
so how did I, let, let me just back it up to how I got on this path. So I guess it started at the end of college. I did an internship at a child abuse prevention agency where we were going into schools and doing these presentations to, for preventing child abuse, uh, sexual and, and other forms. So from like preschool all the way through high school, it was incredibly rich for having one-on-ones with kids and, you know, doing role plays with the high schoolers about boundaries and all kinds of stuff. The younger kids singing songs about keeping your body safe. And it was incredible. Amazing. And that led to not at all. I mean, that was the first time I did something like this. I never thought I was going to do that. And the next thing I know I'm doing, I go and get a job doing that kind of a thing. And then they lost funding. So I started, so I was like, ah, I'm just going to dance. I've always liked dance, but I never thought of it as something I could do. Cause I early, I had a ballet background where you're either a prima ballerina or you don't get to be a dancer. So I, without realizing it, I had internalized, and this is all related, of course, that there's these two different worlds, but I feel like they cross over a lot. So I had this idea without realizing that I did, that I could dance. And that's what I did for my sanity, but it was just for me. So I just let myself, we'd, I'd lost my, the funding. So I didn't have that job at the child abuse prevention agency where I did was leading groups and doing all kinds of amazing stuff. Mm. So I went and just full-time started dancing and then one day, one of my dance teachers uh, took me out to lunch because I was trying to decide where to go next. And he said, he asked me a few questions. And the most salient one was, if you could be guaranteed success at anything, what would you do? And I was like, well, that's easy. I'd dance with Alvin Ailey, American Dance Theater. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm 23, way too old for this, but F and I'm going to go. <laughs> so I like drove down to LA. I auditioned. I got into the school, moved to New York, did that. Wow. Um, got a job at their, at their, summer camp, realized that was my path for so many reasons, Alvin Ailey itself, but the summer camp. And now we're back in social work because really it was a camp using the arts to, to engage kids, um, to give a different path to kids for whom that arts wasn't an obvious option. Mm -hmm. So that was amazing. And then I kind of went back and forth between dancing full-time, but then doing the social work until without getting into all the details, it ended up that the day came that I was ready to kind of pause on the dancing and move more towards a full-time job um, in high schools, doing all kinds of really interesting things in New York. So then I did that and then it led to more and more. And eventually I ended up in private practice, but I worked in agencies for years, lots of volunteer work, lots of different programs using a lot of the arts at that time in my life, theater and writing and dance. Beautiful. And then, and working in schools a bunch. And then when it was time, and I loved my last job in, in a school in Richmond in the East Bay, but when it was time to have a child, it just, the pay was so low and it was so far. And I, so, and someone, people kept trying to refer clients to me and I was like, I don't do that. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I've, I've taken a vow of poverty. I'm a social worker. <laughs> and it wasn't about, it was never about the money per se. It was like, that's the work that was my identity, but that was part of it too, is like exploring what was going on. And finally being called to do private practice and finding it was so much different than I thought it would be. I'd been in really high burnout jobs, always working with pretty extreme people with very disenfranchised, extremely underserved. And it was, you know, hard to, to have be really impactful sometimes, but I loved it. Mm. And the next thing I know, I took a few clients and then the next thing I know it grew so quickly. I ended up quitting my other job. That wasn't my intention. Uh, okay. It just flowed. I mean, I'm just someone who always goes with where's the flow. And then, where's the flow? you you know, mm-hmm. I think I know what I'm doing and I'll make plans, but it's not quite happening. And I feel like I sort of wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm here. Like I thought I would do dance therapy, but I kept looking into the programs. And then sort of one day I was getting my master's in social work and realized like, oops, I guess that's <laughs> where the flow was. And it just happened with ease, even, you know, yes, with more or less my path. There's a lot of stuff that happened in between all of that. And then eventually I ended up that was all before I had gotten my master's. So I just worked for, I just kept getting such interesting jobs. I hadn't gone back and gotten my master's because it was like, why quit my job that I love? Yeah. I got to the point where it was harder to do the next thing without it. So I went back. Um, this is when I was still in New York and I uh, got my master's there. And it was amazing. And then uh, my father was dying. So it was time to come back to California. And right around that time, Ailey was opening a new Ailey camp in Berkeley. So as I was graduating from grad school and kind of finishing up at the end of my dad's life, I was flying over here with him and them. And the next thing I know, I, I was starting a whole new incredible program at, at Berkeley, which was dance and of course, social work. So I was the associate director and did all kinds of stuff and helped set up, set it up. And eventually it was too much to do both. And then it was time to have a kid. So then I, I was working in a school and then I 
Mm. Ended up in private practice. I know it wasn't linear, but that's because that's the way it was. It was a lot of backs and forth. I love, I love the interweaving of the dance and the social work. And I don't actually don't know this about you. I mean, I know that there was dance and I know that there's been social work, but I didn't, I don't know. A lot of one kept leading back to the other. And I was like, apparently we're doing this now. And I, Mm. I did both. And then, you know, and I'd been doing yoga for years as well. That's how it, in the beginning, right after college, before I moved to New York, I had found yoga because it was really helping me when I was having a rough time. I was feeling depressed or something, you know, it was just 20 something year old stuff going on. I would go to yoga and it was so healing. Mm. Um, and so when I started phasing out of dance, I was doing more and more yoga. I mean, I was doing yoga along the way and now that's become a huge part and I just got a harmonium and I'm reconnecting with music because I used to play wow. a lot of music as well. But I love that. And that kept me going as well. Same thing. Like I'm not a musician, but I would play piano to soothe my soul. You know, it sounds like there's just as you're talking and also from how I know you, you have an ability to follow the energy or follow. You're calling it a flow. There's yeah. And have you always been like that or is that something that you cultivate or both? It's so hard to know because when I think to my younger years, I was just so shut down. I, I was so disconnected from myself because hmm. I didn't know. I felt like I was such a like disempowered girl in a lot of ways. And I had like loving, supportive parents, but obviously there was issues and there was just ways that I didn't have this sense of ownership over myself. And I inherited all kinds of intergenerational stuff, you know, as one does. <laughs> Yes. Culturally, familiarly, and otherwise that I didn't, wasn't aware of at the time. But mm-hmm. so I don't know what was going on then. I don't know how much I was in the flow or not, because there was a real disconnect from self. But once I started to connect and I, I feel like there's ways I was led, like, like with a whole birth experience, I was led to the kind of, pre- I didn't know anything about birth, like all the stuff people talked about. I didn't know what attachment parenting or cried at it, or, you know, that's, I didn't know what any of that was. It just, I, I felt very confident around babies and kids and had worked with them professionally and stuff and um, not as much babies. And, but when the time came, I, I found myself drawn to the kind of prenatal stuff that then ended up leading to the kind of birth that I had, which ended up leading to the kind of work that I ended up doing. Cause I'd been in the mental health Ooh. field for years, but I wasn't tapped into the energetic piece. Okay. Yeah. Let's follow this thread a little bit. But then when I was pregnant, something traumatic happened. I found my way to Joanna Adler very late in my pregnancy and one session. And I was like, what are you doing that? (laughs) And I was led to doing, you know, hypnotherapy and the energy medicine and all that, which I'd always been kind of open to, but didn't know much about, but I had such a visceral experience of it. It was so powerful and tapped into things I was already doing, but didn't realize. And we Mm -hmm. just drew from that. And that, that set me on the next phase of my life. Cause I was at a place of not burnout, but I'd been working in such intense environments where I was limited. I was working mostly with kids for a long time with teens, other times with younger kids, but for years with just every ism, you know, every hardship, all the like racism and classism and so many issues and, uh, you know, and violence and drugs and poverty and just all the things that that just working with a kid, I was limited what I can do because there was so many bigger social Mm -hmm. issues, you know, societal contexts Mm -hmm. that, um, that I was limited. And so finding this new way of working filled in, it was almost like, like a cobblestone path, but it got like Mm -hmm. paved all little cracks got, it filled in all the places where I couldn't muscle through. And then I learned that you don't have to muscle through. Mm. You feel stuck because you're like, I want to help this person and I can't. And then it brings up all your own ego stuff and whatever else. I learned, oh, mm. just like when I kind of passed out-ish, when I had that that huge power fill, when I was reviewing my birthing experience, it was like that. I was like, oh, right. Tap into source, become a hollow bone, allow it to move through. When you feel like you got to make it happen, do less. Mm. step back, invite in, expand my container mm-hmm. and then help the client to kind of hold that. Like you were talking about holding that container, mm-hmm. mm. um, that, that, so, that was the next phase of, and that's, that was like, now I'm like, that's it. I, I will. Okay. So you just described to me how I hold sacred feminine leadership, which is connected to the earth, connected to the cosmos, connected to my body in my heart, in my belly, fully present, 
completely surrendered to whatever. I mean, of course we're holding, right? But there's like spaciousness to allow the thing that needs to come up to actually come up versus I need to be in here fixing it and getting an outcome. That that is that that has a place sometimes. But I think, you know, in our work, which is is similar and dissimilar in some ways, but you know, really becoming a master at allowing things to be unknown. Yes. That's such a big part of it. And tr- that's the, what, you know, the kind of the trusting flow it. of trusting the process, the ease. That's what, a big theme for me is always, where's the ease? We're trying to decide something, pause and go, where's the ease? Well, I love you. You're dropping so many little wisdom kernels. So where is the ease? Let, let's just follow that thread. So we're doing this as a conversation, obviously showing the uh, feminine principle at play in a conversation, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. We're just following the threads, which I love because they always weave together. Yes. I love your presencing of ease. I always have. It's something that you, I feel it's one of your core, mm. maybe not values, but like core threads that you're always like, oh, here's this let's weave with, right? So tell us a little bit about that concept for you and how you work with it in reality. Like where is the ease? Yeah. That's such a good practice. I think one of my old patterns is to try to, as many of us do make it work, find a solution, you know, hustle around it. I'm really good at like, I'm very, I mean, I'm not just Vata. I got some of the other stuff too, but I I got a fair amount of that, you know, and the benefit is you can move a lot of stuff around so I can get in there and, but it can get complicated. Yeah. You know, in the ideal world, it would have this outcome, but to do that, I'd have to first move this thing and then this thing. And now I got to wait on that person. And then I got to masterful at that. (laughs) Yes. And I mean, and there's a place for that. There's times you got to get in and get stuff done and I'm good at it. Yeah. It can be exhausting as well. And it can make things more complicated than it needs to be. So I can use the strengths of when that's called for, but I think I was over, I was defaulting to that more than was serving me and learning, okay, where's the ease? The ease is just go with this. Mm. Just leave it as it is. Okay, great. Mm. And the ideal thing would be, I'd love that more than this, but to do that, there's all these unknowns and all this work and all this Meh, maybe that's not the right choice. Sometimes it's worth it and sometimes it isn't, but remembering to be intentional about it mm. and also just being with what is, I, you know, we both know James Kovacs who's just such an incredible <laughs> wise soul. And I remember one time I saw him and asked him, how are you doing? And he said, really good in such a way that I said, wow, what's good. And he paused and he said, I've stopped wishing things to be different than they are. Mm. So wow. good. So that. That is one of the paths of ease. That's one of the things like I accepting and allowing being. Yeah. It's because part of all the moving stuff around is like needing it to be a certain way. But what if mm. I can release some of that? And how do you know when you're not in a place of ease? You, you've kind of talked about the mental construct. There's, do you have a physical knowing? Yeah, for sure. I, it's also behavioral. If I find myself feeling kind mm. of stressed, you know, a little hyper, you know, maybe trying to control my environment more yeah. than anyone's enjoying, you know, yes. particularly the people in it might when we're like, that's like a sign of that there's some anxiety coming up and we're trying to like make yeah, control. Yeah, exactly. And so that's definitely a sign of like, oh, okay, take a step back. Mm. Is, this, is this serving? And because in that step back, something usually happens, right? That is supportive or you feel the next thing that you need to address. Going back to those roots, like you said, I mean, in those moments, stepping back and just letting my roots go back down, they were always there, but remembering them and going like, oh, right. I can feel my roots into the ground here. I can feel my tree self. I can feel the brain, you know, the root that's grounded when I forgot that I'm grounded. I feel the roots Mm -hmm. that are the tree roots that are all the way down holding me. And when I forgot that actually I'm okay, you know, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. We got this. Mm. that quality. And then it allows all the branches and the leaves to kind of reach out and do all the great of creative stuff, but you know, heaven and earth, you got to have both. Well, this is a practice, a moment by moment practice as you're describing it. Right. So I, I forget who I forget myself sometimes and go into reactivity where I start to spin 
And then at whatever point I become aware, I go, oh, look, I forgot myself, human moment. And then I come back and that taking a step back, like you said, what it does is it allows me to go "Ah," and reconnect to that rootedness. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the ease Mm -hmm. flows more easily. It may take a minute. Yeah, but it's always there. And the more you do it, the more you come back to it. So I love the image of the tree as a way to just reconnect into the earth and the and of course that's an ancient symbol. And um, I know it's something that's important for you. It comes up often, right? So there's the image or the metaphor that you're bringing in here too, that I think adds a lot of power. And I see you touching your body, right? So there's all of these, you know, Lots of that. Yeah. Remembering, catching, sitting back, connecting with the tree, remembering your body. Yes. Remembering that we are held and the elements and nature is huge. And I've always known that, but didn't realize what I was doing. Like when I was pregnant, was having that really difficult time. All I wanted to do is go find the ocean, be in the air, the sun, the wind. And when I did, I would feel it was such a balm and it's such a tool. So you know, we forget that so many people feel connected to nature, but forget what medicine it is and such a great model because mm. the trees don't really ask anything of you. No, they have they're, so, they're so generous. I mean, other than, you know, inviting us into our better selves. So yes. that's what I'm trying to do. So mm. I go learn from the masters. They don't get caught up in all the words. <laughs> you have a particular tree that calls you or are you just connected to all the trees? I mean, I do love all the trees. There's some in particular, you know, oak trees, redwood trees. Um, there's a lot. There's little ones too. But then they got the hummingbirds. <laughs> yeah. Share a little bit about your relationship to nature. How do you how do you live with that? How does it show up in your world? Because I think I this is live also, with it, yeah. this is part of leading from the feminine. It's like really remembering that we're connected and we're connected to the earth and so I would just love to, hear, I know it's really important to you. Like, how do you, how do you live from that place? How do you lead from that place? How does it show up in your life? I mean, I've always just been drawn to it. it again, it's that thing where you don't have to intellectually understand it, but just being drawn. I know that that's my medicine. I just need to get outside. It doesn't even matter what the, if it's raining. Oh, I love the rain. If it's cold. Okay. That's uncomfortable, but (laughs) sometimes it's fine. I just want to be outside, but you know, the wind, the sun, the rain, the ocean is hugely powerful for me. Mm. Gazing at the ocean is such nourishment. Mm -hmm. Like it just fills, it just fills everything. Um, Yeah. I'm not as much of a desert person. I'm sure it's lovely there, I've, but I'm, yeah. not, I'm not as drawn to the desert. I'm sure like it has the water. gifts. Mm-hmm. Yes, the mountains and the water is, is mostly for me and all the things that are happening up there, the sky and the sun and all that. Do you have a special place in nature that feels really important to you or that you've had a powerful experience on? Oh, there's so many. You know, and some of them in small ways, like I used to drop my child at school and then I would go to the Presidio. There's this one spot and sit in the, a grove of trees. There was some redwoods and some other ones and just look out at the ocean and just, I feel like I meditate best in nature. Cause I just, this space is so held. I drop right in. I don't have to do much when I'm inside. It takes more mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get beyond all the distractions yeah. around me and the people and the things and the phone and the, just the, Oh God, I need to do that. Like it's just <laughs> settling nature's held that I can just drop right in. Mm-hmm. So I used to go there and do that a lot, you know, every day when I could, as much as I could, even if it was for a shorter or longer time. So that's special. I feel the Presidio in you. Also though, when I go to my Ramdas retreats, the the beach there, that cove, Napili Bay is a very special place. And my first year there, I would just get up. It's in Maui. Maui. Okay. I would get up in the morning. I would just wake up. I would jump up, maybe do a little bit of yoga stretching. And then I would just put on my suit and just run to the beach. It was right there and jump in the water you know, mm. early in the morning, every day. And then I would just float on my bath. And I just remember being so blissed out. Just, mm. I mean, that's my happy place. I that memory. Mm. Uh, I just felt so, it was so connecting and reminding that we are all one. Mm. AU, nature, all the people doing all the things, everything. And that's part, I think of the the sacred feminine as well as really remembering that there's no separateness, even when we forget. Wow. That's so beautifully said. 
There's no separateness when we, even when we forget. Why do you think this medicine matters now? Like what we're talking about is beautiful. Well, because the earth is being harmed so extremely right now. You don't have to be a specifically an environmentalist or even particularly educated about any of that stuff. It's just factually around us. And we need it so badly. Some people don't like nature. I've known some people like that, but most people just intuitively feel, feel that. And it gets beyond our big, beautiful brains to this very primal place, feet on the ground, you know, sky, wind, all of the elements and the Mm. nature. It's just, it's just such an incredible healing. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like what you're saying is our connection with nature facilitates the medicine of connection within ourselves. And that is a medicine for the separation that the earth is feeling and that is rippling through. That's so well said. What you're, I think that's what you're pointing to. I love that. I love how I wouldn't have articulated that way. And that's exactly right. And are you, and that is probably, or maybe let me ask it instead of say it, but do you see that as part of what we're doing as healers is trying to heal these places of separation and bring in the medicine of connection through Absolutely. Right. I don't think of it consciously of like trying to heal, you know, through nature, but I, I can't not like, if I go somewhere an office or a house or anywhere that I go, I just gravitate toward, like I, I I'm looking out at trees and sky. Cause I have to, I couldn't work somewhere mm. that I didn't have access to that. When I try or like live, you know, sleep in a bedroom that doesn't have access to outside, I couldn't be at a windowless mm. Rome or where I just saw a building. It's really hard on me, hard on me. And do you find, are you bringing that into your work? Are you bringing that to your clients? Is that something that is part of you? I mean, I don't come in saying like, you need to do this Uh conscious way like that, but I think it's such a part, it's such a motivation for me that I think it comes through and I support people. I mean, I always meet people where they are and there's people Mm -hmm. for whom they say it's not important. No problem. I'm not trying to push that on anybody. It's more of a being curious of, is there a connection there? And if so, how can I support you in meeting the, 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 the nature medicine in a way that's going to be, that's going to best serve you? Because most people are going to say something comes up around it, whether we're doing energetic, like trance work and they connect with a part of nature and then we refer back to it or whether they talk about something. And I might say, I'm noticing that when you go to such and such a place and you, you know, are in the trees or that, you know, I'm noticing this and they go, yeah. And then we just support what, the way it's coming up for them. I don't come in like telling people they should do that, but I think but it's, it's who you are. So it's coming through. Right. That's right. Beautiful. And the people we're drawn to the, I mean, people are drawn to me and I'm drawn to who, mm. who, who works together. Mm, beautiful. So you're just holding, you're using it to resource you. The nature connection resources you and other, and, and your practice, right. Your compassion practice. And I'm sure other things. Right. And then you're showing up for people and they're getting to share in the frequency of who you are. Right. Mm, I never of it that way, but yeah. Okay. All right. It's such important work that you're doing. And I know that like it's one-on-one and it's private. And I don't think personally, I don't think healers and therapists are truly understood in the level of engagement that they have every day in these massive processes of transformation. It's just amazing what people like you are doing, right? And so I want to give more and more voice to this work that's sort of um, tucked in. It's not hidden, right? But it's a little bit tucked in. I know that you do amazing work and um, that people's lives are, are changed at probably every session, right? It matters. Like what you're doing matters. And the way that you're showing up with your ease and your resourcing, your nature connection, you know, the background that you have to bring to people is facilitating transformation, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel that like we can only influence our sphere, but if we can do our best to influence and just love the heck out of the people that are just right here, Yes. Right. Even if it's our family, well, that's a whole nother story, but there's a challenge that's different, right? But just yeah. like really giving our all in the place where we have the most influence is literally life-changing for the world. Yes. So those people heal 
and then they bring that into their families and into their communities and then it it feels like a ripple effect so you know I just want to honor the work that you're doing um because I, I think some other careers or even like you know healers that are way out there and showing up in a different way they they're seen as making these big changes in the world but they're real like on the ground transformational work is happening in these intimate containers like what you hold mm. right and that is the work of the sacred feminine and you're so connected to the goddess and to the earth and to the great mother that it's just here you are can i just share one thing yeah uh, of course one time you said to me take your place at the circle of high priestesses Ooh. You have and done I feel that. exactly what you meant. It was this is some years back, and it just it was a really pivotal moment for me. Hmm. And when I think about that, why that was so impactful for me, it encompasses take your rightful place. There's a way that we as women do so much apologizing and making ourselves small and non-threatening and hmm. am I enough for you? And all this kind of stunned questioning ourselves and being kind of tentative and giving it all, giving our power away and all this kind of stuff. And when you say, take your place at the circle of high priestesses, it's like hmm. the place is already there. Hmm. It's already yours. Just take it, you know? All and it just feels to me like it's it's just this ease of like just let it all slip away. All that stuff that we do, all that stuff we've yeah. been we've been conditioned into about what it means and how we're supposed to behave. Mm. And um, it's just so powerful for me. And that image is something that I carry with me that that I've drawn on. I used to think about it a lot more. I don't as much because I feel like I've in, I've embodied it. Mm -hmm. They do share it with people sometimes when it feels like the right, but just even energetically, if I don't use the words, it was just that concept to me is so powerful as women. This is what I wish. It's just like, take your place. Mm. I love that call forward, right? It's meant for you. It's available. And we don't have to do a lot of processing. We don't have to do years of therapy. We can just literally say like, oh, I remember I remember this is here. I get to just step in, right? And of course you've done a lot of work to be able to do that, but I love that image of the high priestess. And of course, you know, that is why these conversations matter because the sacred woman has not had a place at the table. She isn't compensated as highly as she should be. She isn't honored for the work that she does. She is not treated as important as other respected professions, right? So I want to see a world where the sacred women make as much as doctors and lawyers and they're revered, right? Yeah. So not just a place at the table, but the place at the table is actually honored and supported, not because we're more important than, but to restore our rightful place and to right. bring back into balance, balance. with... With the world, I mean, potentially with the masculine, the healthy masculine, and then, you know, come into that place of unity where we all are existing in our power. Mm. I mean, that's really what I'm so interested in affecting change like that. It's not sacred women are so great. I mean, they are, but they have been quieted. They have been shamed. They have been burned. They have been, you know. Silence. They have been judged. They have been, I mean, so many women are afraid to use their voice. Yes. And it's old, ancient, right? And so when we start to have these conversations, one of the things that's been really interesting is I'm talking to amazing women like you, and we're using our voices together. And there's this momentum, right, that happens when we begin to share and speak truth. Right. Which is I work with so many women who are just incredible, so gifted, so strong, so wise, so powerful. And they don't see it. They don't know how to claim. And they, a part of them does, but this other part doesn't. And some women do know how to do that. And I draw great inspiration from seeing mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's the thing is just helping us come back to, you know, who we really are. Mm -hmm. And it's, and then there's this bigger issue. Like I've always been a micro person. I, I can deal with the person in front of me. Like I could sit down with someone and they can tell me 
intensely difficult stuff. And I, I have space for that. Yes, the do. macro stuff. So, but, but people who are out there like doing policy, you know, taking on big social issues overwhelms me. I've never done, I've, I've always had a hard time keeping up with the news. I know it's important, but I get really overwhelmed because I don't know how to be impactful with that. Okay. I know how to do one-on-one and I know that's, that's my strength. So that, mm-hmm. and someone else needs to do the bigger stuff because I'm talking to a lot of women where we're getting a lot of clarity about what's going on. And it's so clear that they're trying to find their voice, but of course it's rigged. They're working within a structure where Yes. You know, the reality is that when you try to leave that abusive guy, you really might end up you and your children homeless, or, right. you know, right. you're trying to speak up at work and you really might be blackballed for your entire industry because you speak up about a thing like, you know, around race, around gender, all sexual, all kinds of stuff. Well, you're speaking into a new paradigm almost to me where in the current paradigm, which we hope is shifting, right? We hope this old some shifting yeah we see it it's collapsing things are collapsing and falling away that there would be a new paradigm where women would be able to begin to step into their power and bring that's that's kind of what i hear you am i getting it right yeah where they could speak they could move into powerful positions right without the threat to their survival or their health or their safety right? That that could be a reality. And I hear you saying that's happening on multi-layers. Love it. Exactly. Right. So you're doing it at a certain place where you're saying to the woman across from you, or even, you know, a man who's working on these things too. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or any gender we should say. So, you know, that you're affecting the change with the person right across from you. Right. And that's where your sphere of influence is. But there's many layers. And so we all have a role to play. We all have a color to express. We all have a way that we can impact right. this consciousness at this moment. Right. Always. Right. Oh. And there are people who who go, I couldn't sit there and have someone tell me their personal <laughs> story, but I can go out there and create structures to oh. make this bigger change. Hallelujah, you know, for I'm all so grateful. Yeah, I'm grateful to those people who want to do that work, right? Mm. But yeah, multi-layers. There's just so many layers to it because you've got all the individual stuff of a woman being, you know, with all the conditioning about how to speak up in a way that we, that we are taken seriously, I guess. Mm-hmm. At the same time, anyway, there's just so much, so many things. There's so many things. So, and that goes back to the, that kind of, uh, e- bringing back that sense of ease of what's, what do I know right now? Cause there's so much unknowable and it can be really hard to hit a wall of injustice. That's so deep and painful, right? Where you're like, I don't, I can't fix this, whether it's for those of the people I used to work with, who's, you know, mm-hmm. the kids whose life structures were so much bigger than me or them, that one little thing. But then at the same time, sometimes, I mean, I, I can think of, so for example, I used to work in this one school for about five or six years in elementary school. And there was a girl I worked with who was just very challenging. There was a lot going on there. And I, she was one of those kids. I always just felt like, gosh, I don't know how, how effect, I know that she came and it seemed important, but mm-hmm. how impactful was I? And also what's going to happen to her? You know, mm-hmm. what's her future going to be like? And I was really not feeling great about it. Years later, just a few months ago, I get a phone call from her. Oh. found me somewhere and was like, is this, you know, is this Ms. Herman? <laughs> oh. I don't know if you remember me. And I was like, I definitely remember you. And she starts telling me, look at this time in my life. So she was about nine when I knew her, you know, I knew her for a few years and now she was in grad school. So it was however many years later, Amazing. Uh, probably like 15, I'm going to guess. Mm. And she was just basically telling me, you know, some of the things had shifted in her family life, family members that had things were going better for clearly that she had gone to college. She was in grad mm-hmm. school to be a teacher. And then she said, I always remembered you. And I, you're the, you're the one person I could go and talk to in these ways. And it's such a helpful reminder when you feel like, God, am I making any difference at mm-hmm. all? What's going on here is so much bigger. And I don't really know what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing my best, but I have no idea if it's impactful mm-hmm. in any way. And so those mm-hmm. moments um, just remind you that every little touch Every little thing we do contributes. Mm. 
So but every one person, just the gift of presence that you gave her. Right. Right. And then she goes out and now she impacts every single person she interacts with in her life. Mm. So, you know, this gift, I don't know if you remember those commercials from when we were kids. It was like, and then I told a friend and then I told a friend, yeah. it was like one little square and then they would, they would make it into like two squares and then four squares. And they kept that's oh. so low tech now, but back then it was a big deal. And it was this idea. If you, you know, one person does one thing and then that affects everybody else. So if you're having, if you're spreading love in the world, or if you're spreading vitriol in the world, every single person you interact with is going to then talk to the next person that way, whether it's that you did something really kind for them, or if you did, you cursed at them or something, and then they misbehave the next, you know, mistreat the next right. person. And that's where our power lies, right? Yes. We every get little to- thing. Yeah. I remember thinking, well, you know, I'm just going to show up at the school sidewalk and be my best self, you know, because the school sidewalk a lot goes down, right? When you're waiting to pick up your kid, (laughs) I was like, if I could just show up there as my best self and someone will have a positive experience of me and I can leave this place feeling like, oh, everything I brought here was my best, then I will have been doing my work in the world today. Like it sounds really simple and basic, right? That's it. But it is. And I think that, yeah, I love how you're framing that. And, you know, you mentioned one thing that I do want to get to before we stop talking, and that is your like devotion to love. Because you mentioned like, can I be in love? And that's not something that we've really talked about here, but it is something that I know that you are very devoted to practicing, that you have studied with great masters and that, you know, I consider it like a foundation of what you're cultivating. And I just want to honor that in you mm-hmm. and just see if there's anything that you want to share about, you know, your journey with that as a person, as a healer, as a family member, because I think it's like what you really draw on. I mean, and I was to say, but one thing that I will say is Ramdas really talks about love as a, uh, like be love. Mm-hmm be love. You're not Mm. right. As a state of being, it's not just like a verb or a noun. It's this, um, it's what we're embodying. Mm -hmm. It's what we're here to do. And without attachment to without attachment, basically Mm -hmm. without it meaning something about me or you being in love, that kind of stuff. It's so much bigger. We're all just souls connecting. And that's how he's able to put, you know, whoever was the the politician at the time, he spanned so many decades. It used to be Casper Weinberger, which most people don't know who that was. And then at one point it was, you know, Bush and then Trump. But I mean, that was just his particular political perspective. But the point is people where, who we feel very triggered by, who we don't agree with, who we feel like are doing things in the world that aren't moving in the direction that we would like to see moving and being able to really honor them and meet people. And and in his books, he tells so many wonderful stories about people that you go, how did you interact with that person that way when they were being so vile? And it's because he talked about, we're just two souls, whatever is happening, you know, whatever he called spacesuits, whatever spacesuit I'm wearing in this lifetime. (laughs) And you are like, Mm-hmm. here together and whether it's you know he, and he tells that story in so many ways whether it's him helping someone and then realizing that they're just such a being of light that they're mm-hmm. actually helping him you know he's called to, to to the beds of dying people for example or sick people and realizing he had this identity as I'm the helper and then realizing oh my god and they just sat there looking at each other and so it can take that form as well but just that being, being love. I think that's the, that's what I really am trying to do is notice where the ego comes in about like, you know, so many people are like, I'm all about love. And then you got this, like, but inside you, there's all this like roiling hatred, you know, all that, that whole idea of like, you know, hippie, but there's all this under underpinnings that aren't being addressed and just, yeah. Where are some places that you get challenged around showing up as love? Mm, I guess when you know, I know what my triggers are. Yes. My old patterns that come up. So if someone's behaving in a way that, that steps on, that presses a big button of mine, where I go into one of my insecurities or old patterns, it's not fully resolved. Um, of yes. course, they get triggered and then I'm going to want to either get self-righteous or want to make it about why they did that thing wrong or something. Yes. So being able to, at those moments, pause and go, right, you know, as Ram Dass would say, like it's Krishna and drag, God and drag, like, okay. You know, just <laughs> laughing, being like, oh, I forgot who I was for a minute there. Right. Everyone is our teacher. So mm-hmm. that person is the most mm-hmm. difficult being able to go, 
you know, when I started thinking, God, if just that person would just go away or stop doing that, everything would be okay. Okay. Pause. Let me mm. turn around and bow to you. Mm. Because clearly you are my great teacher. And instead of me being a victim of this circumstance, I'm able to go, oh, there's some incredible growth trying to happen here. And the the lesson is coming in the form of this kind of a difficult thing. But Mm. it's because this is is hard for me because I don't know how to do it yet because that's my curriculum. That's so good. That's the other thing I live by. He says, says, life is a school, take the curriculum. Every time going back to James again, you know, wishing things to be different, if only this, and why is this happening? And poor me or poor you or whatever. And then I pause and go, as soon as I feel myself struggling in whatever way, not feeling ease, not feeling harmony, pause. Okay. What's the lesson here? What's my curriculum? What chapter am I on now? Mm-hmm. And then I feel spacious and resource to meet what's coming instead of feeling all like, you know, despairing. And sometimes you got to roll around in it. If then we might have a moment of despair. Sure. Okay, fine. We all have those moments. We're human. We're humans. We Just, really want to emphasize that, right? Right. But the, but the observer self goes, oh, look, that little self needs to roll around in that, that, that emotion right now. But we don't forget who we are, which is mm. a being of light. Mm. You have so much wisdom. <laughs> you do. All, you've said so many little, I love the way you, um, they're almost like mantras like follow these or, you know, all these little, it, I can tell you so work with them, right? They're really it, just integrated into who you are. I try to help people find their own mind. Like we all have them, but we don't realize what they are. Or maybe we don't quite, but they're available to us because when we get really triggered, we forget who we are. And then our amygdala goes crazy and, and we get really myopic and we lose the executive function, you know, creative thinking option. Yes. So we got to find our little breadcrumb, that little crack of light, you know, that Leonard Cohen talks about, you know, that little crack is where the light comes in. So where's the crack. And sometimes the way to get there is we have little mantras that just sayings that resonate for us, wherever they came from. Mm. And that when we do them enough, they're even when we're really triggered, we can access those one or two or three things and it helps reground us so that we're able to go and then get creative thought back. Now we're less reactive and we can find our way back. So that thing stepping back. So, mm-hmm. yeah. and then you're connecting with the mantra in that space. It sounds like to help you remember that. Yeah. that and then you're... find levity and ease humor. I had a teacher once a uh, couple oh, yeah, for humor couples training and gosh, you know, I'd been working with couples some, but I was doing my official, you know, being assessed to get my certification as an Imago relationship counselor. Mm-hmm. And she'd been doing this for decades. I remember her saying to her, Jillian, you have no, like those two couples you just showed me are literally the most difficult I've ever experienced in, you know, 40 years. So she's like, cause the, you, yeah, I would, we would record, but I was recording myself in sessions. You didn't ever record the clients. You'd have the, the, the camera on me. And it was a way to, for her to be able to assess what was going on to help me. And I would watch them as well for my training. And uh, she would say, you know, lean back, sit back. Do you feel when it's getting intense, you're leaning forward, sit yes. back. And she was like, try to have fun with it. I was like, did you see that? She's like, I know. <laughs> Find the humor, f- have fun with it. Like that's the, oh, I love that in the, in the most dire seeming things. And so that's like, I came in today saying, well, you wouldn't believe what's happening today, but I'm actually doing pretty well. Mm. There's like people with major issues going on around me that are needing things. And I didn't get thrown off by it. Mm. That humor this is so important because it connects us to joy, right? Which is what we're here to be in. Yeah. I love that. Remember to play, have jokes, see the humor, the cosmic joke, joke all of that. Yes. I love all the cosmic joke stuff. And you know, <laughs> Ram Dass is one of my kind of greatest t- teacher. I mean, there's so many wonderful teachers out there, but I refer to him often and he has so many wonderful ways he refer, you know, he brings humor in, in a way that's so helpful. So beautiful. Well, Not, the other thing is I'll say one last one is, yeah, I really channel Ramdas all the time. I don't know if he said these exact words, but if I'm ever feeling intense about something, I just invoke Ramdas saying, Jillian, don't get caught in the drama. I'm like, oh, right. That's so good. So I just do that all the time when things are feeling intense. Um, I get caught up in the drama. In this moment, it feels big, but you know, if you could widen out and look down at yourself, you would see that it's not all that it seems. Your, your leadership is needed. Mm. Yeah, what you share today is really needed. I I really honor your work and just how much you've done to show up as the woman that you are. 
Thank you. I've learned and supported, been supported so much and inspired by you. And I always love talking to you. Thank you, Catherine. Ancient voices spill the secrets. That's it for this episode of Magnolia Leadership Podcast. Having you here is such a blessing. As a Magnolia woman, we are leading from our deep aligned power to bring our full bloom to ourselves and our gifts to the world. If you're inspired by this podcast, I invite you to share it with someone or leave a review. Sign up for our newsletter or one of Magnolia Leadership's upcoming in-person or online offerings at magnolialeadershipco.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, so much love to you.